Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Are you being influenced? If you watched a blockbuster film in the last decade, then there's a chance it's been influenced by the Chinese Communist Party. Here's the reality. The CCP may be running the largest influence campaign in history. In Hollywood Takeover, brought to you by the Epic Times, investigative reporter Tiffany Meyer reveals how the CCP exerts control over some major studios. Don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. For a limited time, watch the first 10 minutes for free at hollywoodtakeover.com slash jesse. Jesse Kelly here. If you're in a situation where you feel threatened, instinct may drive you to reach for lethal means immediately. But we all want to avoid the irreversible consequences of deadly force. Enter the Berna Less Lethal Pistol Launcher equipped with tear gas and kinetic ammo to incapacitate an attacker for up to 40 minutes. It's legal in all 50 states, requires no background checks, and can be shipped right to your door. Visit Berna.com slash Jesse now for an exclusive 10% discount. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of the Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years was solely dedicated working undercover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good-looking young lady. She's serving me a drink. Hey, what would you like? I Usually my drink was, give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink. The guys come in. I'm going to go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money. Bam, I give her $100. If you're with the mob, I say, hey, Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down. But you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. 
You know, I have always found it fascinating what gets publicity and what doesn't get publicity. And the reasons why. And it's never it's never an easy answer. Like today, it's easy. In America, it's pretty easy to figure out what's going to get a ton of publicity and what's not going to get any publicity because, let's be honest, once the American media fully merged with the Democratic Party, What's going to get a ton of publicity is whatever makes Democrats look good and whatever makes Republicans look bad. And what's going to get no publicity at all is whatever makes Democrats look bad and whatever makes Republicans look good. That's just the way it works now. Let's be frank. If an illegal immigrant murders somebody, that's going to be on page 26 on the local Jerkwater News channel and you'll never hear about it again. A white cop kills a black dude in Minneapolis, we'll burn down the country for three weeks. That's how it works. Unfair, yes, but life's unfair. That's how it works. But historically, I'm always amazed at how little information is out there on the things that don't get all the pub. The American war in the Pacific during World War II, us versus Japan, Japan in general, forget about us versus Japan, Japan in general is such a fascinating conflict. It is amazing. And you know what's amazing? Before I was, I was looking into today's show because I really wanted to do something on the Bataan Death March, which people don't really know anything about beyond the name. I mean, half the people hear about the Bataan Death March and they think it's called that because they use batons. I'm not criticizing you. It's just, it is amazing to me how little information there is on major conflicts. I went looking for, because I did a bunch of reading on it and finally I kicked back last night and I tend to obsess on things when I'm looking into it. Now I wanted even more. I, I got a three, four, five different sources whenever I'm looking at this stuff. So I decided to pull up Amazon Prime because they have a, a gargantuan documentary section and see if I could just, you know, kick back for a little while and find a little Bataan Death March. Maybe just flat out war in the Philippines, anything like that documentary. So I go searching for Bataan and, oh gosh, there's, well, there's a... Hollywood movie John Wayne did in like the 60s. Okay, that's a little strange. All right, not a single documentary on just Bataan. There's a couple. Oh, okay, here we got a couple World War II documentaries. That should be it. Wait, no, they just barely mention it in this one. Then they move along. That's weird. Oh, oh, here we go. Here we go. There's one on specifically World War II, War in the Pacific. Oh, that'll be it. Oh, nice. The first episode's on Pearl Harbor. That's good. Wait, the second one on Guadalcanal? Wait, what? You just skipped the whole film? I spent 45 minutes last night. 45 minutes last night. Looking 
for I mean nothing major. 15, 20 minutes of a documentary on the Bataan Death March, Manila, the Philippines. Nothing. Nothing. And even what's amazing, in my search for World War II, War in the Pacific, Bataan Death March, I would get 90 suggestions. You know how they put the suggestions up there for, well, here's something similar for Hitler. Hitler and the Nazis, Hitler and the invasion of Russia, Hitler and the Holocaust, the Holocaust, Himmler, Hitler. Now, I realize that's a huge part of history, but it really is. It's 95% of the material out there. It blows me away. Maybe I'm the weirdo. Clearly, I'm the weirdo. Is it just me, Chris? the, the, The Pacific part is fascinating. The Japanese during this time, I mean, in now, but during this time, completely fascinating. Horrific, kind of awesome, kind of hard to describe. And you know, because we've talked about this before, how much I kind of like them during this time. I, I like I'm not I'm kind of like them. I find that I find them to be fascinating, but I will tell you in doing my reading for this one, I felt a lot of hatred, not going to lie. I went from kind of being fascinated as a dispassionate looker of history to looking at them at that time and feeling hatred. And you'll find out why in a few. But I will I will tell you this, and I realize there are few of these opportunities left because those old timers are all about dead now. But if you ever get a chance to sit down and have honest conversations with World War II vets, do it. I have had, just because of what I do for a living, multiple opportunities to do something like that. And it is awesome. And you know, one of the weirdest things ever. I don't know if weird is even the right way to put it. To a man, these guys, Army, Navy, Marines, Germany, wherever they were, Pacific, whatever they were, to a man, they are the kindest old souls you'll ever meet in your life. Just kind, sweet human beings speak fondly of their comrades, speak very fondly with some admiration for the Germans they fought against. Now, not the Nazis. If you ever get one who sprung loose a bunch of prisoners from the Holocaust camps, you can tell they, they, it affected them greatly. But remember, every German soldier of World War II was not some card-carrying, Jew-hating Nazi. There were just a lot of German soldiers who were in the German army, and Hitler kicks off a war. As a soldier, you don't get to say, I'm really not comfortable with your racial views. I'm going to go home. That's not how it works, people. However, there's a gigantic but to all that. To this day, and most of these old timers were, gosh, I'm totally guessing here, 80s when I talked to them. To this day, you bring up the Japanese, there is a simmering 
hatred, rage there that has been there for decades and you know they will take to their grave. How is that possible? How does that happen when it's somebody who has set aside all the old things, has lived a great long life, almost universally these guys have moved on, have families, kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, celebrated everywhere they go in their U.S. Army hat. Just good old-timers, but you bring up the Japanese, or they on their own, because most of the time it has to be on their own, they start talking about the Japanese. There's a bitterness there, a hatred there. And it can be hard to wrap your mind around until you start reading about it and hearing about it. And then, to be honest, you wonder how they didn't die from bitterness. Hang on. It's an Ask Dr. Jesse Friday, 877-377-4373. We're going to finish our story, and then we're going to have some fun. Hang on. Is he smarter than everyone? Who knows? Does he think so? Yeah. The Jesse Kelly Show. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. And before I get to everything else about gold and silver and whatnot, I just need to dwell on that for a moment. I come from the private business world. I didn't grow up doing it radio and TV and these things. An A-plus rating is extremely difficult to obtain. And I don't know if I was going to hand over my finances to somebody, I don't know that I'd want to hand it over to anyone who didn't have an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. Birch Gold does. And they deal in gold and silver. You know how long gold and silver have been worth something forever. The stock market is due to burst. Gold is currently at an eight-year high. Roll your 401k or IRA over into a precious metals IRA. Or at least go to birchgold.com slash jesse and get a free 20-page kit on how to do so. Birchgold.com slash jesse. Again, it's funny what gets to publicity. Who Everybody knows the date of Pearl Harbor, right? Everybody. I, I, I assume 99% of my audience can name that date right now. Chris can probably even name it, and he's an idiot. Chris? Nailed it. First shot. December 7th, 1941. Everyone can hear FDR's voice. December 7th, 1941. A date that will live in infamy. Do you know a bigger attack came on December 8th on our guys in the Philippines and wiped out half of the air power America had in the Philippines? 
no one even knows about it. Again, it's wild what gets the publicity. So here's what happened. Quick recap, because we're not going to take forever on the, on the history today. We're not, Chris. We're not. I have a million Ask Dr. Jesse questions. I have a million articles. I have two incredible guests talking about some off-the-wall stuff today. I just don't have time to go forever on this. But quick recap. My audience knows this well anyway. Japan decides that they're going to come into the modern age and muscle up. They build up a huge economy, a huge military. They are now very much a modern power. They begin to invade, push their way into China, kind of invited, kind of not. Seize control of an area that expands to other areas. Japan is on the move. Japan at this time is also incredibly... You could call it racist. I just hate that word. I mean, they were certainly racist. They felt that they were superior to all other people and other people were inferior. Again, that's not an insult to Japan. We felt the same way about them and black people and everyone else. That's just the history of the world. We look down on them. They look down on us. People look down on people who are different than them. But that played a big part of it. They felt like they were supposed to rule the world. And... If I can make excuses for the people I'm upset with this morning because I did too much reading on it last night. When it comes to atrocities, the endless atrocities committed by the Japanese in World War II, I will simply say this. Japan may have advanced technologically and militarily, and they they advanced their economy, and they advanced all these things really quickly. They went and copied this country and that country, and they brought in German military advisors, and let's get better at this and get better at that. However, Japan, remember, was relatively closed off from the world for centuries. They started out late 1800s, mid-1800s time two or three centuries behind. So if you have to make any excuse for the absolute barbarism, horrific acts uh, done by the Japanese in World War II, the excuse you can make, you can call it an excuse, you can call it a reason, it is kind of true. Japan hadn't come along Morally, is that how you want to put it? As a society, hadn't joined the rest of the world and what the rest of the world saw as barbaric. You see, these things we're going to talk about, Japan did. Yes, horrific. Horrific. Like like I said, by the time the show's over today, you're probably going to be mad at them. Keep in mind, we keep perspective on the show. The things they did were not horrific or unheard of at pretty much any other point in the history of mankind. You and I hear about the things done to American and Filipino troops on the Bataan Death March, and we think, oh, I could choke somebody right now. How could you do that to our people? You tell Genghis Khan what the Japanese did on the Bataan Death March. He probably says, well, "Why did he let? Why did they let so many of them live?" 
Even if you're going to set aside Genghis Khan, people, anybody in the 1400s, hear about a Japanese soldier bayoneting an American soldier for using the bathroom? Do you think they really think, ah, that's a war crime? Or do you think they think, ah, yeah, that's what happens when you lose. I know it sounds like I'm making an excuse for them, but I'm telling you that is 100% part of it. They had this Bushido code thing that hadn't come along as quickly as everyone else's came along with. You may have a modern gun and modern tactics in a modern economy. You do not have a modern sense of what the rest of the world sees as horrific and barbaric. And if we're being honest, part of the bitterness I heard personally from the mouths of World War II Japanese veterans, part of the everlasting bitterness is this. Japan to this day will not acknowledge these these atrocities. You know how Germany has gone so far over the top to apologize for Hitler and apologize for the Holocaust and apologize for Nazism and they still do it today way too much. Okay, you got it. You said sorry. Let's we'll move on. Japan to this day, they'll teach World War II to their kids in class. They talk about how great Japan was and how great Japan did. You and I can criticize that, but before you criticize that too hard, let me ask you something. Even if you have to really, really whitewash your history. Would you rather your school system teach its kids about the greatness of your country or would you rather it go the route of the American school system and teach all its kids about how badly your country sucks? You'd like them to try to split the difference, right? Maybe just listen to my show every day, if I may say so. Don't I try to do that? But... Countries tend to err on that one way or the other. You can dislike the way Japan still does it to this day. I say it's far superior to ours. At least they're not committing national suicide by training the next generation that America sucks so bad it should be brought down. And that is what we're doing. Back to the Philippines. It was a highly, highly coordinated action. We think of Pearl Harbor as a singular event, but that's just because it happened on our soil. Remember, the Japanese had planned mass invasions across the South Pacific for a long time leading up to Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor was simply, to them, one prong of a massive attack. I'm not going to discount it for them. They knew it was a massive prong. They knew crippling us in the Pacific to give them time to dig in in the other Pacific islands was was their only chance to beat us in war. It was their only chance. They knew it was a Hail Mary pass. You can make fun of them all day for, for being idiots. It was their only chance, and they knew that. It's not like they thought, <laughs> we got them now. They thought, I mean, it's the only shot we got. So big haymaker, see if it lands. Is it's our hero Mary. 
But the day after Pearl Harbor, within 24 to 48 hours after Pearl Harbor, there were multiple landings on islands all over the Pacific of Japanese invading virtually simultaneously. Thank you. Japan bombs Pearl Harbor. Douglas MacArthur is in charge over in the Philippines. Gets word, obviously, uh, we've been attacked by Japan. We're declaring war on Japan. Now is when things get really, really, really muddled as to what actually happened. And the reason I say they get muddled is you get different stories from different people And that almost universally means somebody is lying, trying to cover their rear end. Here's what we do know for a fact. Now, this didn't get declassified until later. FDR knew three days before Pearl Harbor that Japan was acting extremely aggressively, even though Japan was pretty slick about it. You can't move that many things militarily across the globe without people finding out. He got told specifically Hawaii was in danger three days before Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor happens. Word gets to MacArthur. We've been attacked. MacArthur supposedly tells his airfield over there. It's Clark. This is the Army Air Corps. This is pre-Air Force. It's called the Army Air Corps. Tells Clark Air Force Base over there in the Philippines to keep half of your airplanes in the sky at all times because a Japanese attack is imminent. Again, he is told it is imminent. Not a maybe, not 25%. The Japanese are coming. Keep half your airplanes in the sky. The Japanese showed up nine hours later, and every single airplane was on the ground. Now, ladies and gentlemen, what's that old saying? Don't pee down my back and tell me it's raining. Don't tell me Douglas MacArthur issued an order for half the planes to be in the sky at all times and everyone to be on high alert and every plane being on the ground. I have seen men pick rocks up out of the desert because a general didn't like the way the landscape worked. When a general issues an order, fly the planes into the sky. In the military, you do not say, I'm not into it, actually. Maybe tomorrow. Especially somebody that high up who you know with the snap of his fingers can destroy your career. You act and you act in an extreme way. He says get half the planes up, you get 75% of them up. Look what I did, General. Look what I did. The Japanese find us completely flat-footed. Boom. Half our Army Air Corps over there in the Philippines, gone. 
B-17 flying fortresses, gone. Fighter planes, observation planes, gone. Then, remember, it's hard to fight a war right off the bat when they're ready and you're not. Plus, our military was really, really rotting from the inside because, remember, we were in a massive, massive economic hole, had this Great Depression thing going. FDR was screwing everything up, even though we completely rewrote the history books and acted like he pulled us out of it. Prior to World War II, he was making everything worse. And as such, the money wasn't there for the military. And when the money's not there for the military, you and I don't really care right now. Right? I mean, who cares? It's, it's not really affecting you. Whatever. I'm going to eat some breakfast tacos. Not my problem. All of a sudden, you're in a war. You happen to care a lot more. Why does this matter? Oh, I don't know. Maybe because you have some, some submarines over there. These submarines come across a massive fleet of Japanese troop carriers heading towards Manila. But, oh, no big deal. They can't really stop your subs. You'll be fine. Let's start blowing them out of the water with our torpedoes. Sounds good. Torpedo launch. Clunk. Bounces off the side of a boat. Oh, that's weird. Must have been a dud. Let's do another. Torpedo launch. Clunk. Torpedo launch. Clunk. You see our entire torpedo stock had bad detonators. It was a poorly designed piece of munitions. They kept bouncing off the side of the Japanese boats without detonating and sinking to the bottom of the ocean. All those troops on the way to fight our guys and the Filipino guys could have been in the water. Instead, they roll on through. Now, Manila, you can pull up a map to this day and see it's kind of in, you know what, let's do this together. Pull up your phone. Let us pull up a map of Manila. Hold on, Chris. I forget how to spell it. A-N-M-A-N-I-L-A Manila Philippines. That's not how you spell it. Oh, here we go. M-A-N-I-L-A. Dang, God, I'm smart. You can pull up Manila and you will see... It's inside of this gigantic bay. It's on one of the islands in the Philippines. People get confused sometimes because you haven't been there, neither have I. Well, not to the Philippines specifically. I've been to this area. About how many islands there are over there. We hit the big ones, right? Oh, you got Australia. and There's New Guinea. We remember all the ones we fought on in World War II, right? Wake Island. Oh, that's Guadalcanal. We, we get all that. Do you know the Philippines alone? Chris, take a wild guess how many islands the Philippines alone has. Chris says 50. Go higher, Chris. Go higher, Chris. He says 100. He said it's not 1,000. You're right, Chris. It's not 1,000. It's actually 7,600. Like I said, we, we, it's easy, out of sight, out of mind. You don't know. I don't know. But you get in that area, they're everywhere. Big ones, small ones, they're everywhere. And this is one of them. And Manila sits in this little bay. And if you're doing your homework assignment as we talk right now and you're looking on your Google Maps at Manila, and you look to your left, look to the west, and what do you see in that bay? You see a gigantic peninsula. 
This gigantic peninsula is where our Bataan death march really is going to begin. I'm going to I'm going to gloss over some of this Manila fighting. I'm going to get to the point where U.S. troops they're fighting and they're fighting their guts out, and there was a plan for them to go to that peninsula. Because it's easier to defend. Now, granted, you must have reinforcements and supplies coming by water in to resupply you. But, you know, when you give your enemy really only one way to come at you, that's a much better place to defend. Plus, we had lost air cover because they wiped out our air force. And that peninsula you're looking at on your little fa- on your little map on your phone, it's covered in jungle and it's covered in mountains. Much easier to defend in that. Much easier to keep yourself from getting bombed. The Japanese forces are pushing. We are fighting tooth and nail. And it should be said because we only focus on the surrender at the end. We made them feel it. Our boys... You're an American cheering right now. You got a lot to feel proud about. The Japanese were feeling pain. The Japanese commander in charge was getting yelled at a lot. What are you doing? Why is it taking so long? Because the Americans were fighting. Tactically retreating. Dig in, fight tooth and nail, retreat. Dig in, fight tooth and nail, retreat. However, remember what I said about the resupply, about the need for manpower and food and resources. It was months away in America and the Japanese fleet owned the ocean. There was no help coming. They were doomed. stocky follow like and subscribe on social at jesse kelly dc do you leave your windows open at night your doors unlocked at night you don't do you well no because you actually care about the security of your home what if somebody's out there right now in cyberland going after your finances would you just leave it way unlocked or do you think maybe you should take some steps to protect yourself you know home title theft is the cybercrime out there right now. It is big, big business. These crooks get online where your home title is now. They get a hold of it. They get your signature on it. They can do all this stuff themselves. And before you know it, they're taking out a loan against your home title. And you are on the hook to pay it back. That's happening everywhere. Protect yourself. Go to HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Don't forget to use the code JESSE. Gets you 30 days for free. Now... 
Our guys do what they can. It should be noted, I want to give just a slight shout-out here to the Angels of Batam. They're known as there was a bunch of women, nurses, who were serving, treating some of the most horrific injuries you can imagine. And many of them were offered to bail because there were enough boats to grab a few people and take them out, and most of them stayed. General MacArthur didn't stay. General MacArthur, who was on Bataan, Bataan, got picked up by a PT boat, cruised on off the island. You know that famous MacArthur, I will return speech? He gave that speech from Australia in a radio broadcast after all of his men were left on baton to die. A lot of people defend it. A lot of people are horrified by it. As you can probably tell, I am horrified by it. You stay, you stand side by side, and you die when your men die. That's military leadership. I don't want to hear about how important and special you are. You don't hitch a ride. You say, I'm not leaving my men. That's leadership. Now, a man named King, he's a general. It's complicated. He wasn't really in charge. Wainwright was really the guy in charge, but King is kind of in charge. It's 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 complicated. But King arranges a meeting with the Japanese number two man. They have a meeting. They essentially say, yeah, sure. Surrender. It's time to surrender. You must surrender. Now, keep in mind, our guys have fought for months. Now, I need to lay this out for you, lest you decide to destroy King, which King was probably wrong to do this. Had he sought out permission from the higher-ups, which you usually have to do to surrender, they would have all said no. But American forces in that jungle and the Filipinos fighting with us were starving to death. They were dying of thirst. They were dying of malaria. 80% had malaria and 50% had dysentery. I don't know about you, but I can do some amateur math, and that tells me Many, many, many of our troops had malaria and dysentery at the same time. Quick side note for you. I've had dysentery. I got it in Thailand. I know. Surprise, surprise. It feels like you swallowed razor blades. That's what it feels like. It's not a tummy ache. It feels like you swallowed razor blades, and I know this is gross, but you're going to need to remember it for just a minute from now. When you have to go, when you have dysentery, I cannot stress this point enough. It's not a normal, you know, green apple splatters. It's not asking permission. When you have to go, you're going now. It's horrific. It's a stomach parasite. It's horrific. I've had it. Our guys are starving to death. There's no water now in the jungle because it dried out. 
They're dying of thirst. They're dying of disease. And remember, they're fighting this whole way, so they're being shot to pieces. There are wounds everywhere. We can't get fresh bandages. Our force is dying to the last man and fighting like warriors. So people kill King for this, but King arranges a surrender that eventually was put on Wainwright, even though Wainwright really didn't do it. Wainwright was a lieutenant general, I believe, surrenders. Our guys surrender. Now the Japanese, again, remember, lived by their own rules, lived by their own code. Now we're going to talk about a few really, really sad things to just gear up for this. They had a habit of not marking their ships that were carrying our POWs with red crosses like you're supposed to do so those ships were kept safe. So on more than one ship, they would load our POWs in the bottom of the ship seal the doors with almost no ventilation, no bathroom. Our guys would be kept without water. They'd throw a bucket of rice down. Now, not the whole bucket. They would dump a bucket of rice down in the gigantic hold where 500 to 1,000 of our guys were being held in total darkness. What else is accumulating on that floor? As you keep 500 to 1,000 men in there, if you want to eat and survive, you have to bend down and pick up pieces of rice that are mixed in with everything else. I know, it's ugly. Look, it's going to be ugly for a few minutes. Hang on. Got another great night's sleep last night because I am loving my ebb sleep. You know, it's not drugs. And I'll be frank about something. I don't want to go off on a tangent here. I have nothing against having a beer now and then. Certainly not uh, goody two-shoes by any means. But I don't like taking chemicals into my body. I just don't like it. I'm a big believer natural is more healthy. That's why even in my times where I was really, really having trouble sleeping, I didn't like taping, taking sleeping pills. I want natural solutions. With Ebb Sleep, you don't take anything into your body. You wear it. It is a wearable, drug-free solution. It uses precise, continuous cooling to calm down your racing thoughts and put you asleep. Go to tryebb.com slash jesse. That's tryebb.com slash jesse. Use the promo code jesse at checkout. Get 25 bucks off. Many of our POWs held in the bottom of a completely black hole. No food except the rice they're picking off the ground along with the own human waste, no water. 
Men begin to die pretty quickly down here in these conditions. Men begin to go insane down here pretty quickly in these conditions, as you can imagine. How much can the human mind possibly take? How much can the human mind take? If I locked you in an air-conditioned, completely dark room with food, water, in a bathroom... How long could you last before you lost your mind? And then, if you can imagine a living hell like this somehow getting even worse, sadly, it got worse. You remember how I told you the Japanese didn't obey the laws of war, didn't mark the ships the way they're supposed to? Well, hang on. Jesse Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Those ships, unmarked ships carrying our POWs sailing through the water. Eventually, an American submarine or two comes across them. Somehow found a functioning torpedo and sunk it to the bottom of the Pacific with our own guys on it. Happened more than once. And other people were forced to march. Here's the situation. Our guys surrender. The Japanese code, the Japanese culture at this time. I'm not defending it because some of this is just too sadistic, but the Japanese culture at this time did view you as less than human, less than a man. If you surrendered, you were supposed to kill yourself, period. Again, I've told the story before. It's a true story. Japanese mothers would hand their sons knives to kill themselves with rather than capture. That is commitment. Your own mom. Hey, make sure you die. Because it was such dishonor, not only on yourself, but your family back home. If you were captured, if you surrendered, you didn't do it. So all these Americans surrendering, the Japanese viewed them as less than human. Now, here you have a whole bunch of Americans. You have 75 miles to walk. And your superior in the Japanese army is breathing down your neck, telling you, you had better hurry up. We have other places to be. I don't have a way to properly describe this to you. I wasn't there. I can only say this. 
Remember our guys are sick as dogs. I want you to put in your mind what is the sickest you've ever been in your life. You'll remember something, whether it was food poisoning, the flu, Maybe you had something more severe. You know how you feel when you're sick. You can't hardly move. Lifting your arm can be exhausting. You don't want to talk. Now, I want you to picture this. You're the sickest you've ever been in your life. You're standing in the middle of a road, and it's 108 degrees outside. Did I mention you don't have any water? don't have any food, and haven't had any for a while, you're already skinny. And as you begin your march, the guards have no orders to get you there alive. In fact, they're looking for excuses to kill you. Remember that dysentery I told you about? Remember you have to stop? You have to stop. You stop, you get a bayonet in the ribs. Dead. Or shot. Or get your head cut off. One famous story, after they'd been marching for some time, had the troops stop in front of a bubbling spring of water. The Japanese made them stand there and stare at it. One American soldier loses his mind, as you can imagine, runs over, begins to drink from the water, doing anything he can to nourish himself. A Japanese soldier walks over to the man, pulls out his samurai sword, and with one stroke lops his head off. The Japanese have a few trucks where they only really let their troops ride. And again, we're getting to the point where you're really going to start having hatred bubble, but you need to know the Japanese would purposely swerve as they drove down the road to run over and kill our guys or mortally wound them. Are you starting to have a better idea of an 80-some-year-old man still hating them to this day? There is no defense of it. They would do things like once they got where they were going, the men who actually lived, the conditions in the prison camps were just as bad or worse. You remember that Lieutenant General Wainwright who surrendered? The Japanese thought that was hilarious. They had a Lieutenant General under them, so they would force him to salute and bow to them repeatedly. They would force our guys into slave labor, like building trenches around an airfield. And one time after our guys were done for the day, the Japanese, to amuse themselves, filled up a trench next door to the airport full of gasoline, told our guys an airstrike was imminent. Our guys ran into the trench where the Japanese then lit them all on fire. Some of our guys laid down and died. Some of our guys ran to the cliff to jump off, only there were Japanese soldiers at the bottom of the cliff that shot them. Some of our guys, in what I consider to be one of the coolest, bravest things I've ever heard in my life, after they were set ablaze, ran up to Japanese soldiers and hugged them so they could burn them with them.
Colonel Suji was one of the most sadistic people in that war. He oversaw a lot of this stuff, and I'm going to stop now because I don't need to gross you out and bum you out on a Friday. Just know this, never paid for his crimes and is still celebrated in Japan to this day. There is a chance, though, Colonel Suji got his in the end. There were roving bands of paid, unpaid, just vengeful people for years after the war hunting down escaped Nazis and others. We have no idea what actually happened to him, but what we do know is Colonel Suji years later took a vacation to Laos and disappeared and was never seen again. One can only hope somebody paid that man a visit in the middle of the night. I hear a lot of talk because of what's happening to our society. You see it. I don't have to elaborate on it. We'll get to your Ask Dr. Jesse questions here. A lot of a lot of talk out there about civil war this, and we need a war. Let's just get bloody in the streets. Let's just. You hear a lot of that from people who've never been in one and who don't really understand how unimaginably cruel man can be to another man. You live in a Judeo-Christian society, at least it used to be. You were raised with a certain set of values probably in this society You had better understand this world and now this nation is full of people who don't recognize those values at all. I'm looking at videos right now of Americans running up to other Americans, homeless people, and lighting them on fire. In case you thought that was just a Japanese Army World War II thing. We really, really need to find a different solution than going ahead and fighting this thing out. Maybe that's where we are. Who knows? I can't see the future, but I'm telling you, there is so much ugliness out there, plenty of it. We had better find a solution. And I'll tell you something else. The solution is not you getting on your knees begging forgiveness for something you didn't do. That just ain't going to work. Ebb sleep has completely changed how I do my show. What I mean by that is it's no longer alarm goes off in the morning, wake up with red eyes, still tired, suck down seven cups of coffee as I'm in studio. Those days are done now. It's wake up, dare I say it, 15 minutes before the alarm sometimes now. Wake up completely refreshed. Maybe do a little extra history work on the way. It's just changed my work regimen. It can change yours too. Might even get you a promotion. 
You'll be shocked at the things in your life that improve when you start knocking out a good night's sleep every night with a Neb sleep. Go try it risk-free for 60 days. Tryeb.com slash Jesse. That's tryebb.com slash Jesse. Use the promo code Jesse at checkout. Get 25 bucks off. Jesse Kelly returns next. All right. That's enough of that. It is time to get to our Ask Dr. Jesse questions. You guys <laughs> have sent in plenty of them. Thank you for those. If you want to call in with them, you're welcome to. 877-377-4373. 877-377-4373. Or you can email me, jesse at jessekellyshow.com. That's jesse at jessekellyshow.com. The first one is this. I was told by a friend that you're tall. My question is, what's your exact height? Would you consider yourself tall? And at one point, at what point is one considered tall? Okay. I'm six foot eight. Yes, I consider myself tall, obviously. I'm pretty sure six foot eight puts me in like the 99 percentile or something like that. So, yes, I'm tall. Yes, I'm so tall that I realize I'm tall. Now, when I say I realize I'm tall, I look down to this day. I'm 38 years old. I'm almost 39 in a month. I look down and I see my own femur and think, gosh, that is long. It is. It's a long femur. So, yes, I consider myself tall. I consider tall, the tall, the difference between tall and not tall to be 6'4". If you're 6'3", I don't consider you tall. If you're 6'4", I do consider you tall. However, the line for manhood is six feet. Sorry, I can't. What, Chris? What? Oh, I realize we have phone screener Mitchell listening to the show. And he's about five feet, so that one's probably going to hit hard. That one's probably going to hit hard for poor Mitchell. We'll, we'll patch that up after the show, Chris. We don't even have an HR around here, do we? I don't think so. We're fine. Everything's fine. Nobody worry. <laughs> Somebody asked, Dr. Jesse, do you have Duke on your statue list? He's talking about the list of colleges I've been going after. He's talking about that cancel Yale campaign I went on going after the racist roots of America's universities. Let's be clear about something here. I don't want any statues torn down. I don't want any schools changing their names. I, I think I think judging the past by the standards of today is absurd. And even if somebody was a horrible human being, if somebody being a horrible human being 200 years ago in any way negatively affects your state of mind, you are the problem. I cannot possibly stress that enough. 
if something happened a long time ago and it negatively affects your state of mind, you're the problem. You are too weak. You must find a way to toughen up. And here's the thing about that. I just had to clarify. It's not as if people aren't victims of injustice in this country ever. They are, and that doesn't fall along racial lines. The nature of man is sometimes you get screwed over in this life. How screwed do you feel if you're an American soldier? You just got to Philippines for your new station. This happened to people, by the way, in November. And then all of a sudden, a few months later, you find yourself standing in your own feces eating rice off the floor of a Japanese POW ship and and an American torpedo slams into the side of the ship and now this little hold you were in is filling up with water. Does that seem like an unfair shake in life? Yeah, that's the definition of sometimes you're the dog, sometimes you're the tree. So let me be clear. There are absolutely people who are victims of something. Bad luck, oppression, justice system, bad boss, bad company, circumstances, whatever the case may be. However, let's be real, real clear about this. If you raise your child to consider themselves a victim... You are mentally handicapping your child for the rest of their life. Even if it's true, you have put an artificial ceiling on your child's ability to succeed and be happy. Because once that is ingrained in you, you can't get it out. Oh, you'll never get a fair shake because you're black. Oh, you'll never get a fair shake. You're a woman. I see this right now with white people all the time. Because it's true, our culture now has become extremely anti-white. That's just a fact. You can dump all over white people without any fear of retribution. And so I see it from from white people, too. Ah, Are you going to address the fact white man is under attack? No. Go succeed. I don't want to hear excuses from you because of your skin color. Ever. Not if you're black. Not if you're white. Not if you're a man. Not if you're a woman. Even if those excuses are valid. And I'm telling you, I understand sometimes they're valid. I do. I don't want to hear it. Because it only negatively affects you. You can sit and make excuses your entire life. By the time you're 60 or 70, you'll still be a loser until you decide to not be a loser anymore. I don't care if that's harsh. It's not your mommy's show. It's your daddy's show. I'm the one telling you how it is. I don't want to hear it. We can talk about these problems. Absolutely. I don't want to hear it. I don't care that people are going to be mad and write the show. I don't want to hear it. 
Oh, Jesse, you have to understand, I'm black and, and I got pulled over too much. That sucks. That's disgusting, actually. I hope someone reforms that police department. Don't you dare let that hold you back from success. Go make it anyway. Jesse, I'm white. I got this the other day. Jesse, I'm white and I got denied scholarships because there aren't any college scholarships out there for white kids. Yes, that's 100% true. That sucks. Go find a way to make it anyway. Go find a way to make it. You got to find a way because the only other option is be miserable. And is that an option? Is that an option you want? And I've done this thing in my life. It's not like I'm talking down. I've, I've had these moments in my life. Not many because I wasn't raised this way, but I've had these moments where I got down, blamed everyone else. Probably his fault, probably that fault, probably this, probably that. You got to snap out of that crap. You got to snap out of it. Bad crap happens to everybody. Injustice, unfairness happens to everybody at some point along the way. You say it's not fair, you're daggone right it's not fair. Life is unfair. Life is unfair. Snap out of it. Do better. You must. Speaking of unfair, you know what we've never really dove into on the show, Chris? The Jeffrey Epstein stuff too deeply. We have Alana Goodman. She's been on the show. She was on the show a long time ago. She's dynamite. She wrote a book on Epstein, and she's coming up next. I'm excited for this. Hang on. I love when people offer me free information with no obligation because it tells me they know what they're doing and they're confident in their service. Birch Gold, they offer a free 20-page kit on how you can roll over, legally, legally roll over your 401k or IRA into a precious metals IRA. And are you looking at the markets out there right now? The economic dislocation, we just had a 5% contraction of the economy. People, this economy is going to blow, either in a big way or a small way, but it's going to hurt everyone who has all their money in stocks and bonds. A precious metals IRA, always solid. Protect the money you've worked for your entire life. Go to birchgold.com slash jesse. That's B-I-R-C-H gold.com slash Jesse. You know, that's not very nice, Chris. During the Chris looked up gigantism during the break to see if I had it, and I guess I'm an inch short. That's you know what? That's not nice, Chris. Oh, I'm a foot short. Oh, nice. Dodge that bullet. Joining us now, Alana Goodman. She's 
Joining in on a high-level, high-level conversation over here, Alana Goodman is a senior investigative reporter for The Free Beacon and author of a book I have to get my hands on called A Convenient Death. First of all, Alana, what do you consider too tall for a man? for that question. I I don't know. I, I I don't know if I would consider anything too tall. I think height is always good in a man. I have to I'm five feet tall, so pretty much anybody's okay for me. Okay. As long as you're taller than than me. Yeah, see, women have that advantage. I feel bad for short dudes. Women can be hot at any height, but a dude who's like five five, he's just totally screwed. It's tough. It's yeah. really tough out there. All right. This book, give it to me. What are the goods? Okay, so me, my, my co-author, Daniel Halper, and I um, looked into the mysterious death of Jeffrey Epstein uh, in prison, which <laughs> I'm sure you remember from last year. Mm-hmm. And we looked at his network of friends, Bill Clinton, Donald Trump, um, Victoria's Secret billionaire Leslie Wexner, uh, Bill Gates, all of these very powerful people who were around him and, um, you know, any any secrets that of theirs that he might have taken to the grave. What are these secrets? I, I Look, I'll be honest with you. I never bought it. I always thought it was weird, but I never wanted to come off like conspiracy theory guy. But as you just pointed out, he knew a lot of extremely powerful people. I'm sure you've done plenty of digging. What do you think actually happened? Well, we lay out a lot of different options about what could have happened that night. Um, I mean, the short answer is, you know, we we don't think that foul play can be dismissed outright. Um, we talked to prison guards who worked at MCC, the prison where Epstein died, um, and they said that it would have been extremely difficult for him to kill himself in the way that he did without outside help. Um, we talked to Epstein's lawyer who talked about how he was, you know, just – Hours before he died, he was meeting with his lawyers. He was enthusiastically planning out his legal defense strategy. Um, he was, like, really amped up to fight this thing. Uh, and we talked to Epstein's brother, who said he's just been stonewalled completely by authorities on this, and he's trying to find out basic information about what happened that night. So there are a lot of reasons to say this isn't a simple case, and there's there are legitimate questions. Alana, can you lay out, just for people who've probably forgotten, what is Epstein, what were his crimes, or even not, not just the ones he was formally charged with, what was this guy up to? Massive sex trafficking operation Ugh. involving underage girls. Uh, and then that's what he was, you know, that's what he was charged with. That's what, I mean, he, he was supposed to go on trial, actually, this month. That was what, when his trial was scheduled to begin. Um you know, who knows if it would have been delayed because of coronavirus, but it's really a shame that we are, you know, we're here and he, he's he's not here to face justice. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that the Department of Justice really needs to be more transparent um, about what was going on in their prison and how he was allowed to die under their custody because his victims unfortunately, are are not able to uh, get that ultimate justice. You laid out some of the famous, very wealthy, very powerful people he knew. 
Do we have any idea how much they really knew him? I mean, you and I both know in this political world, you take a million pictures with a million different people. You run into them at some big conference and all of a sudden someone have blasted out there your best friends. Or were they really close? How close was he with these he other was powerful cl- men? He was, very, he was close. He was close with um, Bill Clinton and Donald Trump. Um, with with Clinton, I mean, Clinton has obviously downplayed their relationship, but they were friends. Um, There was a a story that we report in the book on how Bill Clinton, back when he was still president, he was at a party at Carolyn Kennedy's house on on Martha's Vineyard, and a Secret Service agent comes in, taps him on the shoulder, says, you know, you got a phone call on your cell phone, and it's He steps out, takes the call. It was Jeffrey Epstein. Talked to him for like 10 minutes. Came back into the party. Um, Alan Dershowitz was actually at that party. And uh, Bill Clinton walks up to him and says, hey, Jeffrey's on the phone. You want to say hi to him? Um, So this was while he was president. Jeffrey Epstein had a direct line to him while he was in the White House, uh, which is is pretty scary (laughs) considering considering what we know about Epstein now. What do we know about Donald Trump? How close? They were close as well. Um, there was at one point Trump actually organized a party for beauty pageant contestants at Mar-a-Lago, and he invited Epstein as the like featured male guest. Um, and and we talked to the pageant director, and he he was actually really angry about this because he had previously banned Epstein from his pageants because he had come on to the contestants and some some of these girls were as young as 15 years old um so he bans epstein from this from attending these these uh pageants which would take place at casinos it was a kind of a seedy (laughs) beauty pageant but um then trump has a big party for these girls at mar-a-lago and and he invites epstein to it um as uh, again like pretty much the only male guest who is there so he did eventually cut ties with Epstein um, when he found out that when Trump found out that he tried to solicit the do- daughter of a Mar-a-Lago member. But you know, before that, they they had a close relationship. Alana, you hear all the time, or at least I do all the time, and you never know what to believe of people who think the billionaires, Hollywood, whatever it may be, that this kind of disgusting stuff is extremely prevalent. And half of me wants to say, oh, I have a hard time believing that. And then the other half of me looks at the history of the world, and that's what wealthy, powerful men have done in the history of the world. What do you think? Well, I, you know, help, I don't think that it's, you know, everybody's involved in these no. things. I haven't, I haven't seen anything like that. But, uh, you know, I, I think that when you are somebody as wealthy and powerful as Jeffrey Epstein, and this is your thing, you know, underage girls, you are able to take it to a scale that, you know, a normal person who doesn't have $500 million to throw in this is able to do. And I think that's kind of the horrifying part about this. I mean, not only was he able to run this this big operation, which required staff and Ooh. And uh, you know, just all of the all of these people to get these these many you know hundreds of of girls allegedly, um, but he also was able to evade justice on it. You know, I mean, he was able to get this great deal um, in Florida back in 2007 uh, when he the first time that he got arrested for this, and he was able to hire just a dream team of, of lawyers um, to fight on this. And you know, it's 
it's it's really that I think that's the scary part of the whole thing. Why was he able to get off in Florida so easy? Is it just the lawyers? Was there a dirty judge there? Do you know anything about that? Well, we do we do go into that in the book. Okay. I mean, he he had he had some great he had some great lawyers. Um, I will also say, I mean, he thought that he had a really good case this second time around. Like his his legal team, they it wasn't just like oh we you know we we think it's going to be fine. Like they really thought they had a solid case um, because he had a non prosecution agreement that he had signed previously in, in Florida, um, and he. Other than that, like there was double jeopardy, potential double, double jeopardy questions um, for being tried again. Uh, and they also thought that the state had a weak case on interstate transport. So, you know, he they were very optimistic about him actually coming out victorious on this one. So a lot of good men. Where, where can people get this book, A Convenient Death, real quick? You can get it at Amazon or wherever books are sold. A convenient death. Highly recommended, people. Find out how dirty things can get. Alana, thank you so much. Thanks. Ugh. I need a shower, Chris. Hang on. Feeling a little stocky? Follow, like, and subscribe on social at Jesse Kelly DC. HomeTitleLock.com. Remember that name. In fact, go there right now while I'm talking to you because you can go there, register your address, and check if you're already a victim of home title theft. I bet you haven't heard of home title theft, have you? I mean, everybody's heard of, well, I don't want my identity stolen or credit cards stolen. People... Those are minor crimes that end up having almost no financial impact. You know the big boy crime that's wiping people out out there? Home title theft. They get online, they get your title, they get your signature on your title and take out a loan against it. And guess who gets the bill? You start getting late notices from the banks that you haven't made your payments and you are screwed. Go to HomeTitleLock.com right now and start protecting yourself. Don't forget to use the code JESSE. Get yourself some free stuff and get you a free month. HomeTitleLock.com. Dr. Jesse, should women approach men if they're interested? This is from a woman. I've been accused of being a little old school when it comes to things. And here's what I firmly believe. A woman should, by all means, do a little flirting. It doesn't hurt to let him know you're interested. I don't understand this modern way of thinking of I should treat him like complete crap. Or be a total witch to him as some kind of challenge or something. I don't know what that is. I mean, especially if he's a man with options. He's not going to go running down the lady who's an absolute witch. A little little flirting never hurts. Doesn't hurt at all. However, I believe the man should be doing the approaching, and here's why. 
Life is imperfect, by the way. If this isn't your situation, that's fine, but here's why. Society, biology, how we're created moves on better if bold men are the ones procreating and cranking out kids. It just does. That's what we want. Part of we're, part of the reason we're seeing what we're seeing is this. We have weakened men in this society. Their own fault. It's nobody's fault but their own. We have become so feminized. We've told men they're supposed to be feminized and weak. And why aren't you more in touch with your feelings? Could you put on these put on these fake boobs and breast milk the baby so you know what I'm going through? People, that happens now these days. And people will defend it. Defend it. No, I always I always sit down and watch the view with my wife. It just helps me understand her more. It has killed us, killed us that men are no longer men in this world, in this country. It just does. And, you know, it's not unusual. It's not like this has never happened to a great power. This is what happens in great powers. The men get softer and softer and softer and men whose duty it is to protect a society. I don't care about your women's rights stuff. It's a man's job to protect society. When they are unable to do so, a man from another society who wants to come in here and take what is ours will come in here and take what is ours. Period. That's not some dire doomsday prediction. That is the history of the world. At some point, when you're Rome, you rule the world and everybody fears you. And then at some point when you're Rome, the vandals are battering down the gates of your city and taking whatever they want. That's how it goes. And that's why I think men should be the one doing the approaching. Allow me to give you some advice, young men, because I know I have a bunch of them who listen to the show. I have lived an adventurous 38 years. Do you know the one thing I hear time and time and time again over the course of my life from unbelievably hot women? Nobody asks me out. Do you know how often you look around and you see this relatively ugly dude with some absolute dime? And what do you say to your buddy? It's not, he must be rich. Do you know what the real truth of the matter is? Sure, sometimes he is rich. Sometimes he was the one with the balls to walk up and say, Hi, I'm Mark. You want to go get a burger? Can I buy you a beer? Hey, you want to go for a walk out there with me? I want to talk to you. Why? Because I saw you and I think you're hot. Do you have any idea how much you would clean up in this society if that's how you approached it? And I'm not doing this thing because I'm safely old and married now where I'm telling you, where I'm telling you this and I act like it's not nerve wracking. You know, women don't realize that. 
and dudes have to try to lie about that. Granted, I lack a certain shame or things that connect, you know, things that are supposed to be in my brain are not there. But it is nerve-wracking, especially when you're with your boys. You see a group of girls, one catches your eye. It's a little nerve-wracking. Just roll right up there, maybe get laughed at, and you might get laughed at. They might laugh in your freaking face. Of course, by the way, as you walk away, if she laughs in your face, you can take comfort in the knowledge that is 100% a girl who then leaves and goes goes and complains that guys never approach her. Yeah, because you're a witch when they do. Be bold. If you see some girl, especially if you find one, I mean, there are a million hot girls everywhere. If you find one with an actual personality, brother, be bold. Take the freaking chance. Trust me on that. Hang on. Be bold, gentlemen. Be bold. I have to get to this story before I get back to my questions here really quickly because it made me think of something. The headline is this. from Free Beacon. China and Russia rank as the worst offenders in human trafficking. Do you know what headline came out the other day that absolutely floored me? We talked about it really briefly on the show. Walmart in Mississippi is no longer going to sell the Mississippi state flag because of the Confederate flag connections. How many things in Walmart are made in China? Don't mean to ask the uncomfortable questions. Just trying to put it out there. How many things in Walmart are made in China? Hmm. Hang on. Jesse Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. It is an Ask Dr. Jesse Friday, 877-377-4373. 877-377-4373. Somebody asked me about a chiropractor. 
Apparently there's some chiropractor in the Houston area who uh, who wraps towels around your neck to elongate your spine. I will tell you this. While I had to go to a chiropractor, I don't know whether I had to go. While I went to a chiropractor a lot when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, because I grew so fast, I had all kinds of back problems. Whether that was the right thing to do or not, I don't know. But I'll tell you this, I had plenty of back pain. I generally am a little creeped out by people who adjust your spine. That seems like such an important thing, doesn't it, Chris? I'm, I'm out on that. It's not that I'm anti-chiropractor at all. A good adjustment can do you fine. But you know what? You know what's funny? This is what turns me off. And I'm not faulting them for it because they're not chiropractors out of the goodness of their hearts. I mean, maybe that's part of it, but they're there, what, to make a living, right? And having been to more than one in my lifetime, here's what happens every time, and you know I'm right. You walk into the chiropractor, he gives you an adjustment, puts you on the table, does that thing where you feel like you're going to die, you hear your back pop, so on and so forth. And what do they say on your way out every single time? Well, we need to get you back in here at least once a month for the next six months that every time... Every single time, and I've been to a million of them, I have never once walked into a chiropractor's office for an adjustment and had him say, man, you're good to go. I don't think I need to see you again. And I realize, again, I'm not criticizing a man. You know I respect the hustle. I'm not criticizing how a man earns a living. Look, I think dentists do the same thing. Oh, we need to see you back here in six months. Should we automatically make you an appointment? I'll call you if my teeth hurt. Don't call me. I'll call you. That's all. Dr. Jesse, do the Redskins change their name within three years? Now, the Redskins have fought this off for a long, long time. They have fought this off for a long time. I think they collapse. I think in this society, because of where they are too, they collapse. Remember the Washington Redskins? They are in Washington, D.C. It's 92% Democrat there. So it's not just that they have the Redskin name. It's that they're under constant assault by the people who live in the area to change the name. That's one, two... Look at the momentum in society and where it's going. All the, I mean, they dropped Aunt Jemima. They dropped her face off the syrup bottle. Somebody somewhere is going to have to explain to me how it helps the cause of black people who think there's racism to remove a black person off of a product. Did anybody in the history of mankind Ever look at the Aunt Jemima bottle and say, man, that really makes black people look dumb. I didn't even know there was some stereotype with it. I thought, wow, there's the black lady on the bottle. I wonder if that's a real person. I bet she could cook. 
right? I bet she could cook. I don't understand why. I don't understand this elimination of everything society. Remember Lando Lakes did this with the with the Indian lady that was on their butter too? It was not some unless I'm mistaken here, it was not some negative display of an Indian woman. You're sitting there, the pretty little Indian gal holding some butter. Uh, what? What's the problem? But you know what's amazing about it? Is you will hear time after time after time after time. It's not just that people want it changed. They want it removed. It's that it's a minority of people who want it changed. Do you know there are tons of Indian tribes out there because they're not all just, you know, one Indian group. Remember, we talk about that all the time. Several different tribes who are totally fine with it. But it's this loud minority that always ends up getting its way as people break down. And that has been part of the reason we've lost so much ground in this culture war with the left. The truth is this. They never stop. You are reasonably happy with your life. What are you doing this weekend? Wife, husband, kids, spouse, pool, gym. Maybe you get some work done around the house. Maybe you got a party at the neighbors. Maybe you're going fishing. Maybe you're going golfing. Maybe church on Sunday, synagogue on Saturday. When do you people go to church, Chris? Synagogue on Saturday. How many of you listening to my show right now? How many of you have a protest plan this weekend? How many? Any? Are you going to tear anything down this weekend? Probably the mere suggestion of it probably has you scoffing, right? It has me scoffing. Are you going to pick it in front of a building until they, whatever, fill in the blank on whatever your cause is? Are you? Is there a Planned Parenthood in your neighborhood, in your area? Are you going to go pick it this weekend? You aren't. I'm not judging you. I'm not. But that's why we lose. They're picketing. The silent majority is completely useless because of its silence. And look around. You can pat yourself on the back all day long. I've done it too. Well, we elected Trump. We elected Donald Trump. We're good to go. Look how many culture war losses we've had since the election of Donald Trump. The United States president, especially a Republican one, is not some all-powerful being. There are so many parts to American society beyond the Oval Office, and the leftists control almost all of them. Why? 
the left plays offense. Have you ever heard of Media Matters? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. It's this radical leftist organization, website. Do you know what they will do? They've done it to me. They'll do it again. Do you know what they do? This is how committed the leftists are to winning the culture war. They'll wait until I say something controversial or relatively controversial, which, let's be frank, that's about every day. They then have phone banks of people set up with separate phones who will repeatedly call my advertisers as if they're all a different person. So that advertiser thinks everybody's mad about something I just said and will try to cancel me. Is that disgusting? You bet. But it works. Hang on. The Jesse Kelly Show. HomeTitleLock.com. You see, home title theft doesn't get the pub, but guess which one the FBI is actually concerned about? They're not actually that worried about identity theft or credit card theft. I mean, shoot, I'll tell you, multiple times I've had my credit card number stolen online, and you know how much money it's cost me all those times? Not a dime. Not a single dime. Credit card company reimburses you. They go track things down. They handle it all themselves. It's not a big deal at all. It's just not. Home title theft is a whole different ballgame. They steal your home title. They get your signature on your home title. They do all this digitally, and they take out a loan against it. Once they do that, guess who has to pay that money back? You have to pay that money back. It is a major crime right now in the United States. Go to HomeTitleLock.com. Don't forget to use the code JESSE. Get you 30 free days. HomeTitleLock.com. All right. I guess I'm going to have to address it. Greg Abbott. Today, today, has reclosed Texas. All bars are closed. All of them. Every single one. Restaurants limited in capacity. Rafting, tubing businesses closed. Um, I don't want to be Debbie Downer on a Friday, but I will tell you this. This was the danger. This was the mortal danger that I warned everybody about, not when it was convenient, not when it was safe, not when everyone else was saying so. This was the danger I warned about when everybody was screaming, go home, lock down, 
hide under your bed. We have to go home. The governor says we go home. Go home, go home, go home. You have to lock down. The governor's not allowing us to open. The governor's ordering us to close. And I came on the radio and I told each and every one of you, we have opened Pandora's box. It is a dangerous, dangerous precedent to tell governors and mayors across the United States of America they have the authority to order you to surrender your livelihood. I told you all, when everyone else was screaming, do not let them do this. Why? It's not because I think they're all bad people, although some of them undoubtedly are. How many history stories have I sat behind this microphone and told you? How often have you heard of a man gaining the power to do something and not using it? That is the history of the world, people. That is the history of the world. The history of the world is man acquiring power and using that power. Period. I told you all, do not let governors and mayors decide which businesses can open and which businesses can't. They're never, ever going to forget that we as Americans have given them that power. And I'll tell you something, and this is the truth, the Republican Party has completely abandoned us. The reason you and I feel abandoned and surrounded and without a powerful defender at virtually any government level is because you are abandoned and surrounded and without a powerful defender at virtually any government level. You're feeling it. It is true. That's a fact. These people have walked out on us. Where are the people who fight for liberty in this country? Where are they? Where are they? And it's funny I didn't notice many people stopping these protests, the Black Lives Matter protests, spreading across the United States of America for the last three weeks. People couldn't be bothered to call in the National Guard or forgetting about the National Guard. The National Guard should have never had to been called. These mayors couldn't be bothered to roll out the riot control police departments and disperse these crowds. Don't want to look bad. We certainly can't look racist. After all, it's the cops that are the problem. We can't, we have to look nice. We can't look racist. And now we have coronavirus cases spiking all over the country. And you're going to tell me 
that I have to shut down again? You're going to tell me I don't get to keep my business that I worked hard for? You're going to tell me I have to look at my employees in the eye and say, sorry, you're fired. Who are these people? I had somebody ask me earlier as an Ask Dr. Jesse question, how do we beat the highly funded destruction in our country when the right seems to have given up? So allow me to tell you the good news, and this is the good news. Leadership vacuums, which is most definitely what we have now, a leadership vacuum. Leadership vacuums always, universally, are a temporary thing. The bad news is this right now. Yes, we have balkanized as a nation. We are racing in opposite directions. And the leaders we have at the local, state, and federal level lack the spine to do something about it, to challenge these narratives, to push back. They're running scared. They're hiding. They're too scared of being called this name or called that name. Yes, things are bad. Douglas MacArthur has hopped on a boat and left us here on the Bataan Peninsula. However... New leaders will rise and fill that vacuum. It doesn't seem like it at the time. It never does when a vacuum is created. Ah, it's empty forever. But that's why it's called a vacuum. It gets filled. Somebody will step up and fill it in this country. I don't know who that's going to be. I don't know if he's out there already or if he's still to come. Might be Tom Cotton. Hearing some good things about him. Don't know enough about him. Might be that Ron DeSantis in Florida. That guy has impressed the heck out of me. Florida is a state that can go either way at any time. You get elected down there, Republican or Democrat, with razor-thin margins. So this is easily a man who could have gotten elected governor of Florida and then raced to the middle like every other Republican does. Well, I want to look really nice. Ron DeSantis got elected. Ron DeSantis has stayed right on what he campaigned on. And I have several fr- several friends in Florida. They speak very, very, very highly of the man. I don't know whether it's him. I don't know who it's going to be, even though I am Jesse the Oracle Kelly, Chris. I don't know who it's going to be, but I do know this. It's going to be somebody. It's going to be somebody. I know it for a fact. Take heart. Things are going to get better. However, I do have extreme, extreme doubts that we're going to win the election in November. Now, the bad news is this. The bad news is this. Trump is down in every poll. The good news is Joe Biden is completely non-functional as an adult. And right now it's only an indictment on Trump. It becomes an indictment on Biden once he gets out in public. So maybe things change. Hang on. 
Joining me now, I'm going to totally geek out with this guy, Chris. Somebody who actually knows history instead of somebody like me. Dr. Winfred McClay, history professor, University of Oklahoma, wants me to call him Bill. I'm way too intimidated to do that. I open every single show talking about history on this show, a different history story, and now I get to talk to someone who actually knows something. Doctor, how long did it take you to become a doctor of history? Was that just awesome or was it brutal and miserable and boring? It was um, a little of each. Uh, you know, there was plenty of brutal, miserable, and miserable and boring, but uh, I had a lot of fun along the way. And I met my wife in graduate school, so it, it redeemed everything. Uh, but no, it took, well, it took about six years from start to finish. I, I didn't major in history as an undergrad, so uh, it, I had a real cold shower experience the first couple of years, kind of getting up to speed. But uh, but it went pretty well after that. I had a great advisor, a guy named Kenneth Lynn. Some of your listeners all, would, would really benefit from looking at his stuff. He was a terrific. He's no longer with us, but terrific writer and very hilarious and just a, a big, big example to me. So, uh, yeah, so it wasn't so bad. It wasn't so bad. I went to Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, which uh, was at that time, I think, a pretty relatively conservative place. I don't think it is as much as it was, but then what is as much as it was? <laughs> so, uh, but as I say, it was not brutal at all, uh, except occasionally. I am thrilled to find out we have history professors still in this country interested in actually teaching every aspect of history. I mean, we opened up the show today. We were talking about the Bataan Death March and things like that. And, and oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And, and just it is the history is so complicated, and we like to make everything as good versus evil and simplify everything, and that's just not oh. the case. Oh no, it's ridiculous. Uh, and I mean, of course, this latest a moral panic that we're going through, uh, which now, I mean, culminating in the Dixie Chicks, renaming themselves the Chicks. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it is, uh, it's ridiculous. I, and I, I, where I particularly get off is uh, someone like Thomas Jefferson. Well, I actually have a lot of reservations about if we, in my own way, but um, to sort of throw him on the trash heap of history just because he was a, a slave owner and he actually was opposed to slavery. He just didn't quite have the ability to come across with uh, freeing his own slaves. He had too much debt and uh, other things standing in the way. But um, this is still a great man. And, uh, you know, John Lewis, the civil rights uh, guy uh, who's now a longtime congressman from Georgia, was asked, uh, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but he was asked, you know, sir, what do you think of Jefferson? Uh, and he said, Jefferson, uh, yeah, we knew about the bad side of him, but he was an inspiration to us. He was the fountain. He uses that term. He was the fountain from which all that is good about America and all that was good about the civil rights movement came. And, and you know, if it's good enough for John Lewis, it ought to be good enough for these um, – um, woke wokesters marching in the streets and screaming at the police. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, it's complicated. You're exactly right. Nobody is pure evil and pure good. Um, and, you know, uh, anybody who goes around holding other people to that standard ought to expect that at some point they will be held to that standard. And when they are, they're going to be found wanting because none of us can meet that standard. So, um 
if I could mention this on your show, please. so crass as to mention my book. No, please, <laughs> You've please. never had any anybody on your show do anything like that. But I so I'll. Uh, but I I wrote a, a book um, called A Land Land of Hope, an invitation to the Great American Story, and it it really was meant to be a textbook to um, displace some of the really rotten textbooks that are just about all we have out there, particularly the Howard Zinn's People's History of the United States. And, but even the main, more or less mainstream textbooks are very, very bad in kind of conveying a, a balanced sense of this country. And I don't mean a totally nonstop celebratory vision. I mean uh, just a balanced view of the goods and and uh, the good, the bad, the ugly, so to speak. And and uh, so I wrote that, uh, and it's been going great guns. Uh, and I really recommend it to your readers, um, to your listeners and readers, uh, that uh, Land of Hope, uh, uh, Invitation to the Great American Story, published by Encounter, which, as you know, is a great great publisher. Land of uh, Hope, Invitation to the Great American Story. I'm going to uh, get it because I will tell you, as a history freak, it's driving me nuts to try to find something that I can teach my sons about history about for the reasons yeah, you just laid yeah. out. Every part of American history now, and again, like you said, I don't need nonstop Fourth of July and fireworks, America's perfect stuff, but I also don't want to teach them America sucks, and I think that's yeah. a lot of what we're seeing now. That is a lot, and that's a lot of what you know, these these somewhat demented uh, and certainly morally uptight, <laughs> particularly the women marching in these marches. You know, they're they're just they're all caught up, I think, in this sense that America sucks, and that that's what they've been taught. Uh, you know, I have some sympathy for them on that level. I mean, they 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 were paying attention in class. You know, uh, <laughs> the the uh, uh, and and what they what they got out of class was this this sense of guilt over over their race over their nationality over their socioeconomic uh, situation over their education over blonde hair you name it <laughs> they're they're guilty about all of it and this is so uh, wrong and needless and antithetical to what America is as a as a land of hope a land of opportunity a land where we're able to pursue our ambitions, our potentialities, as to the greatest degree possible, uh, any anywhere in in the world, and uh, uh, I think that's still true. It's it's remarkable how true it still is. Doctor, and, I, I assume uh, the University of Oklahoma gives you the freedom to teach history in a more frank, even-handed way. And I commend him for that because that's not popular in the university system these days. My question is, do you get pushback a lot from your students when you're preventing presenting a more even-handed approach to history? No, not so much. Just from the other the other professors. <laughs> not the students, I think, uh, are very happy to get um, – uh, and I actually try to keep them guessing. I mean, some of them know that I'm a conservative, mm -hmm. but but a lot of them don't. And they and I like to try to keep them guessing by being as fair-minded as I can be. Uh, uh, no, it's the colleagues who are dogmatic, and I I, I hate to to. Uh, I mean, I, I I love the University of Oklahoma. It's been a great place for me. Uh, uh, but um, you know, the faculties uh, are the, pretty much the same. 
all over the place. I mean, we all go to the same graduate schools. We're all sort of socialized into professional historical writing in the same way. Um, there's a real uh, ideological, um, you know, monochrome quality to academic history. And to write my book, uh, Land of Hope, I, I had to really just sort of set that aside. And, uh, you know, uh, that the general public uh, teachers really loved the book. Um, I haven't heard too much <laughs> from my colleagues about it. I think they're they're uh, maybe a little bit embarrassed by it. Uh, but I I can't tell you how little that matters to me. I think they they we have a lot to answer for in the way that the last two generations or so of young people have been miseducated. So I think, you know, I tried to do my little bit with Land of Hope and sort of turning that around. And, uh, um, you know, and, and it's 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 not a book that you would uh, pull down off the shelf to answer every little question like, um, you know, what was the... Doctor, uh, I'm, I'm sorry to yeah. cut you off. Is there any way oh. I can hold you over and ask you just one or two more questions at the uh, after this break? Absolutely. And, have, and, and by the way, I want to send you a copy of the book, so I need to get your address. Oh, I want it, and we will give <laughs> it to you off the air. Dr. Winfred okay. McKay, University of Oklahoma history professor author of Land of Hope. Hang on, we're going to be right back with him. Birchgold.com. Remember it because it's going to possibly save your retirement income. That's not, I'm not trying to, you know, oversimplify things. I'm not trying to overblow what they do. But if you can get your IRA or 401k out of the stocks and bonds and roll it over into a precious metals IRA with Birch Gold, you can potentially save your standard of living for the rest of your life. What do you think happens if this stock market blows and all your money's in stocks and bonds and you're close to retirement age? You're toast. You are now going to have to work for the rest of your life. Does that sound awful? You want to work at a fast food joint when you're 80, or you want to be golfing in Florida somewhere? Go to birchgold.com slash jesse. That's B-I-R-C-H gold.com slash jesse. Go there now. Protect your finances. Oklahoma history professor Dr. Winfred McClay is on the line, has an actual history book out there that doesn't say America sucks for 500 pages, and we applaud him very much for that. Doctor, you are in what I consider to be the belly of the beast. Full disclosure, I spend lots of time bagging on the American university system because I think it has become anti-American and it teaches these young people bad things. If you agree that that is relatively true, how did that happen, and how did you avoid it? Well, I agree that it's it's, it's mostly true, um, and uh, it, it's been a it's been a slow process. You know, the the left has always been very had played the long game, and they're 
They're very methodical about uh, kind of the way they infiltrate and take over things. Um, I think there's, and I think liberalism, which I, by which I mean something other than leftism, but uh, liberalism has a weak point in that it uh, liberals are very anxious about seeming to be illiberal, you know. So they they let things in the door that they really ought to have. It's like they have the damaged immune system. They they let things in the door that they really shouldn't. And next thing you know, you have uh, your department being taken over by people who have uh, radical views or who are activists or both. Um, and uh, one of the way in the '60s, I think one of the things that happened is that university administrators, many of them, tried to hold the line for a kind of traditional standards of excellence and so on. And they uh, sometimes they prevailed, a lot of times they didn't. Um, I think the lesson they learned from that is 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 uh, is to give in. Uh, and so they do. They, they, they very rarely, particularly when it's something that deals with questions of race or, or sex, uh, gender, you know, um, uh, they're, they're very li- unlikely to, to hold the line. And one of the ways that they manage to kind of um, um, incorporate what these dissident groups want them to is to create studies programs. So you have gender studies, you have Afro-American studies, you have Hispanic studies, you have the Native American studies, very big at, at OU. Um, and so not all of these departments are are uh, of low academic quality, but most of them are. Uh, I would say any, any department that has the word studies in the title should be regarded with suspicion. And these are things that were sort of outside the academic disciplines. And uh, um, that you know, that's one of the things. Uh, in the, in the, it, the, the decline has really come in the humanities and the social sciences. I mean, the sciences, the hard sciences. Um, there's some problems there, admittedly, and there's some politicization, especially in recent years, mm-hmm. but um, not to the same extent that there is in the humanities. I mean, humanities are just about shot, I think. And there's a few of us. Unfortunately, I have several colleagues at OU who are just superb. People, but that goes to the second part of your question. How do they? How do they do it? How do they get through graduate school, get themselves hired and tenured, and still be people in the uh, old, uh, uh, you know, sort of humanist vein? Uh, and and uh, um, it's. It's difficult. You have to find, uh, you have to kind of thread your way through the system. I mentioned my advisor. That's all important. Any of your listeners who are thinking about going to graduate school, pay attention to who the person you will be working with uh, and not just the institution. Uh, it's really important. And uh, so uh, that's one of the ways, and, and all the people I'm thinking of were very attentive to that. And uh, uh, but you're going to run into problems, uh, and, and it's, it's more and more true. I mean, I look at the people coming out of graduate school now, and there's some who I know have a receptivity to conservative or libertarian ideas, but um, they don't dare even to even to indicate it to me. You know, what could be safer than indicating it to me? No, they're very, very careful, very cautious. Students increasingly are that way. I think um, that's actually something to get back to your question about students. What I've noticed about students, by and large, and I'm not talking about the really flaming activist types, but most students, they're more subdued, more subterranean, less likely to express an opinion out of fear that 
they will have said something that, oh, even though that was correct yesterday, it's not correct today. <laughs> uh, so there's this kind of uh, Stalinist-like uh, feeling to the atmosphere for them. I hope I'm not exaggerating too much by putting it that way, but I will tell you, I used to, I'm a, I love to teach through discussion. Uh, I'm very much uh, a partisan of that, and uh, I'm finding it harder and harder to teach that way over the last five or six years. I mean, there's been a dramatic change, and other people I know say the same thing, that the students are much more reticent, much less willing to take chances with uh, the things they say in class, the things they write about. Um, they're very, um, you know, uh, I... I, I have some wonderful students, but I remember one day uh, uh, in one of my classes, it was actually called The Idea of Liberty is the name of the class, great class. And uh, we somehow the issue of <clears throat> someone used the word microaggressions, and I sort of smiled. Hey. <laughs> yeah, when that, <laughs> we never use that word around here. At, Doctor, uh, I'm, at, I'm sorry, real quick, we have got to wrap up the show. Oh, no. Plug your book again really quickly. Yeah, oh, Land of Hope, uh, uh, Invitation to the Great American Story, published by Encounter Books. It's available in uh, cloth only now. It will be available in paper in January. Thank you so uh, much, those, Dr. Winfred McClay. Thank you, sir. It was absolutely wonderful. We will have you back soon. Well, Hang on I, one second, I'm, people. Ebb Sleep is a game changer. A complete game changer. And I have to be honest, before I ever found out about Ebb Sleep, I did some other things. I did uh, sleeping pills. I even went through a period of time where I would try a couple extra beers before bed. Not not an ideal solution. I even did the, the weird thing you put on your nose. I even shamefully did the mouthpiece thing. Oh, this will work. Nothing worked. Because none of those things calm down your thoughts to give you natural sleep. Yeah, sleeping pills will knock you out. You wake up after 14 hours and feel worse than you did the day before. Get natural sleep with Ebb Sleep. It's a wearable, drug-free device. Calms down your thoughts, putting you asleep and keeping you asleep. Go to tryeb.com slash jesse. That's tryebb.com slash jesse. Use the promo code jesse at checkout. Get 25 bucks off. If you missed any part of the show today, the entire thing will be available on iHeart, Google, Spotify. It will be available on iTunes. You can subscribe there. Leave a five-star review. Talk about how handsome I am in the comments. That part is maybe the most important part of the show. We are uh, in for some wild times ahead here. I'm hearing that Florida is closing down bars and restaurants. Texas shutting things down as these outbreaks increase. Just trying to clarify. So... We lock down the economy, and then you all let everybody act like animals in the street for three weeks, and now your response to increased cases is to lock down the economy again? Just just want to clarify that that's what we're doing here. No. 
No, I don't think I will. That's all. Jesse Kelly Show. Newton Group Transfer. They are here to help you if you're stuck in a timeshare. These stories from people who have these timeshares and can't get out of them, they're shocking. These timeshare companies, not all of them, but so many, they get their hooks into you and you can't give them up. You can't give them up. Or they'll, they'll do things like they charge you thousands of dollars. One girl... She got past her timeshare when her mother passed away. She gets past the timeshare, doesn't want the timeshare, doesn't use the timeshare. They tell her she can get out of it for $4,000. She has to come up with a $4,000 check. This is not right. It's unjust. And Newton Group Transfers is here to help you. If you are in a timeshare and want out or know someone who is, call 888-845-3773. That's 888-84-JESSE or go to timesharejesse.com. Newton Group Transfer. They will help you out. Hollywood is under siege from external forces. The same Hollywood that sold the American dream is now making nightmares a reality. Many major films make choices to appease the Chinese Communist Party to be distributed in China. Join Tiffany Meyer, an investigative reporter in Hollywood Takeover. Brought to you by the Epic Times, where she reveals how the CCP exerts control over some major studios. Don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. For a limited time, watch the first 10 minutes for free at hollywoodtakeover.com slash jesse. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. 
today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.